when men do come to see the things of another world, what a God, what a Christ, what a heaven, and what an eternal glory there is to be enjoyed. Also, when they see that it is possible for them to have a share in it, I tell you, it will make a man run through thick and thin to persevere to enjoy it. That's one of thousands of statements of the great tinker, John Bunyan. Bunyan was a powerful preacher. He pleaded with people. He got people to participate, as it were, in the sermons. He was having dialogues. He was impersonating people. Sometimes he'd impersonate God. He made people feel like the sermon was happening to them right now. And the sermon was between God and them at this very moment. He had an uncanny gift, so uncanny a gift at this, that John Owen said he would gladly relinquish all his learning for the ability of the Tinker Bunyan to reach the common man. Well, I'm thankful that Owen retained his learning, but I'm also thankful that Bunyan had the remarkable gift of communicating sound doctrine in imaginative, heart-stirring, and personal ways. Obviously, you know his Pilgrim's Progress has strengthened countless Christians through the centuries. But Bunyan was no one-title wonder. He wrote 60 books. Many of them have been reprinted many times. Books that feed and have fed the souls of hundreds of thousands of people throughout the centuries. Well, saturated with scripture and deeply influenced by Reformed theology, Bunyan avidly believed in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. On the one hand, he taught that perseverance and faith was necessary for salvation. On the other hand, he taught that such perseverance was guaranteed to believers by the electing and preserving power of God. He writes this, to be saved is to, preserved, to be preserved in faith till the end. He that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. Matthew 24, 13. Not that perseverance is an accident, I say, in Christianity, or a thing performed by human industry. They that are saved are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Quoting from what I just read, 1 Peter 1. But perseverance is absolutely necessary to the complete saving of the soul. He that goeth to sea with a purpose to arrive at Spain cannot arrive there if he be drowned by the way. Wherefore, perseverance is absolutely necessary to the saving of the soul. So what I want to do now is I want to look with you at seven sections in Bunyan's life and show you how by God's grace, he persevered through thick and thin to get at the joy of the persevering God, the triune God of grace. First section, young John Bunyan, rebellious blasphemer and convicted sinner. Bunyan was born at Elstow near Bedford, 1628, to Thomas Bunyan and Margaret Bentley. Thomas Bunyan was a tinker, was poor, but not destitute. Bunyan was not highly educated, however, as his dad couldn't afford it. And as he grew up, he became rebellious, living for pleasure, frequently indulging in cursing. 
He later wrote, it was my delight to be taken captive by the devil at his will, being filled with all unrighteousness, that from a child I had but few equals, both for cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God. Now Bunyan may have exaggerated his own wickedness in his youth, because as he says in his writings, when you come under conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit, each man feels he's the greatest sinner on earth. And some scholars have thought he maybe overdid beating up on himself, but it was very real for him and he was ungodly. And throughout this, this process of ungodly cursings and worldly living, he battled sporadic convictions of sin that helped restrain him from breaking out into greater rebellious behavior. But when he was 16, his life uh, was entered a crisis point. He lost his mother and his sister four weeks apart. And his father remarried very quickly, which upset him greatly. So he escaped by joining Oliver Cromwell's new model army, where he continued to live in his rebellious ways. But fighting in the Civil War sobered him. On one occasion, his life was wonderfully spared. He said, when I was a soldier, I with others was drawn out to go to such a place to besiege it. But when I was just ready to go, one of the company desired to go in my room, to which when I consented, he took my place and coming to the siege, as he stood sentinel, he was shot in the head with a musket bullet and died. Bunyan was discharged from the army in 1646. His military experience was later recounted in his book about spiritual conflicts of the soul, the classic, the allegorical classic, the Holy War. He returned to his father's trade as a tinker or metal worker, carrying tools and a 60 pound portable anvil on his back from farm to farm to find work. In 1905, his anvil was discovered in a pile of scrap metal still engraved with his name and his hometown. In 1648, Bunyan married a God-fearing woman whose name remains unknown and whose only dowry was two books, Arthur Dent's The Plain Path, Man's Pathway to Heaven and Lewis Bailey's The Practice of Piety. And by the way, we just reprinted Lewis Bailey's Practice of Piety um, last week, and we sent them out in a shipment here very, very quickly to arrive for this conference on time. That's been, that book has been reprinted 150 times. So Bunyan read these two books by Puritans and was once more convicted of sin. He started attending the parish church, stopped swearing, particularly when he was rebuked by a dissolute woman of the town, gave up sports and dancing, and observed the Lord's Day. After some months, he came into contact with some women whose joyous conversation about the new birth and about faith in Jesus Christ deeply impacted him. He mourned his joyless existence as he realized he was lost outside of Christ. I cannot now express with what longings and breakings in my soul I cried to Christ to call me and save me, he wrote later. He said, I believed that I had the worst heart in all of England. I would trade my heart with anyone. 
in the whole nation. He said he was jealous of the animals because as brute beasts, they did not have a soul to account for before God on the day of judgment. Well, lesson number one, perseverance demands regeneration and faith in Christ, not mere conviction of sin. Perseverance demands regeneration of faith in Christ, not mere conviction of sin. You see, at this stage of his life, Bunyan might have convinced many people that he was a Christian. His conscience was active, his conduct clean now, his church attendance regular, and he even read the works of Puritan writers. If such a man falls away from the faith, that is no argument, as he would later say, against the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Because he says, men can perform outward religious duties without being born again into the family of God. There is no promise of preservation to those who merely practice the outward forms of godliness. And so Bunyan himself warned that there are many ways to get rid of conviction of sin, including busying oneself in religious matters. And he said, I decry a formal customary coming to God's ordinances and ways of worship, which availeth not anything. Now, apart from God's gift of life and regeneration and true faith, we have nothing, Bunyan said, in which to persevere. However, once God begins the good work of grace within the soul, then we may confess with Paul that we are confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Section two, Bunyan's conversion and justification. In 1651, the godly women who impressed Bunyan with their joyful conversation introduced him to John Gifford, their pastor in Bedford. God used Gifford to lead Bunyan to repentance and to true repentance and true faith. Bunyan was particularly influenced by a sermon, rather surprising sermon, that Gifford preached on Song of Solomon 4, verse 1, Behold, thou art fair, my love, behold, thou art fair. And he was also greatly impacted by Luther's famous commentary on Galatians, in which he said, I found my own experience largely and profoundly handled as if Luther's book had been written from out of my own heart. And so one day, thinking about these things, beginning to look to Christ for salvation, but not able yet to find freedom, Bunyan is walking through a field, and he said, the Holy Spirit revealed Christ's righteousness to him in an irresistible way. It was an unforgettable experience for him. He writes this, but one day as I was passing in the field, this sentence fell upon my soul, thy righteousness is in heaven. And methought, with all I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand, there I say is my righteousness. So that wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness for that righteousness was just before him. I also saw moreover that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness 
was not in me, but in Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did my chains fall off my legs indeed. I was loose from my afflictions and irons. My temptations fled away. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and the love of God. Well, this experience had a profound and lasting impact upon Bunyan. It captured his heart for Christ. And it lasted for quite a while fervently. He said this, I live for some period of time, very sweetly at peace with God through Christ. Oh, me thought Christ, Christ. There was nothing but Christ that was before my eyes. I was not now only looking upon this and the other benefits of Christ, one benefit apart from another as of his blood, his burial and his resurrection. But now my soul considered him as a whole Christ he was glorious to me. I saw his exaltation and the worth and prevalency of all his benefits. And that because of this, now I could look for myself to him and would reckon that all those graces of God that were now green in me were yet but like those cracked groats and fourpence half pennies that rich men carry in their purses when their gold is in their trunk at home. Oh, I saw that my gold was in my trunk at home. In Christ, my Lord, my Savior, now Christ was all and in all to me. Lesson number two, perseverance is grounded upon Christ's righteousness, not ours. We cling to justification by faith in Christ alone and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to believers, also as ministers of the gospel. And that personal relationship we have with Christ becomes our strength to persevere in ministry. Otherwise, our constant imperfections, our daily ups and downs will threaten our sense of assurance and threaten our longevity in ministry. We'll end up picking up a daisy and saying, he loves me, he loves me not. The doctrine of perseverance then degenerates into some kind of legalism, into guilt, into fear, which was true of Bunyan's condition before he trusted in Christ as his only righteousness. So this is critical for you, for me, for our people, that they learn to trust in Christ's righteousness alone. And so Bunyan writes this, I believe then that the righteousness that saves a sinner from the wrath to come is properly and personally Christ and ours only as we have union with him. God by grace imputing it to us. Section three, Bunyan's first steps as a preacher and a writer. The year 1654 was momentous for Bunyan. He was still a relatively new convert, but he moved to Bedford with his wife and four children under the age of six one of whom, his firstborn Mary, was blind from birth. That same year, Bunyan became a member of Gifford's church, was soon appointed deacon. His testimony was the talk of the entire town. It helped lead several people to conversion. By the end of the year, Bunyan lost his beloved pastor to death. And so the following year, he felt impelled to begin preaching. He preached in various congregations in Bedford. Hundreds, astonishingly to himself, came to hear him. He published his first book the following year, 
some gospel truths opened, which was written to protect believers from being misled by Quaker and Ranter teachings about Christ's person and work. And two years later, still as a young convert, he published A Few Sighs from Hell, an exposition of Luke 16, 19 to 31 about the rich man and Lazarus. And in that book, he attacked the professional clergy and wealthy people who claimed Christ but promoted carnality. The book sold very well and helped establish Bunyan as a reputable Puritan writer. But at that time, he lost his God-fearing wife who passed away, leaving him four young children as a widower. In 1659, a few years later, Bunyan published The Doctrine of the Law and Grace Unfolded, which explains his view of covenant theology, stressing the promissory nature of the covenant of grace and the dichotomy between law and grace. That book helped establish him as a thoroughgoing Calvinist, though it led to false charges against him, charges of antinomianism by none other than Richard Baxter. If any, any Puritan is going to charge you of antinomianism, Baxter is a, a good one to do it. Because Baxter himself was unsound on justification by faith, as you probably know. In 1660, while preaching in a farmhouse at, in Samsell, Bunyan was arrested under the terms of the newly revived Act of Uniformity requiring attendance upon the services and ministry of the Church of England. When told that he would be freed if he no longer preached, he replied to the judge, if I'm free today, sir, I will be preaching tomorrow. While he was thrown into prison, where he wrote many books and made shoelaces for 12 years to support his family. Lesson number three, perseverance involves a willingness to suffer for Christ. Jesus Christ said, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. In running, the word endure means to go the distance to the finish line despite hardship. And Bunyan wrote this about it. It is an easy matter for man to run hard for a little spurt. For a furlong, that's an eighth of a mile, even perhaps for a mile or two. Oh, but to hold out for a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand miles. That man that doth this, he must look to meet with cross and pain and wearisomeness to the flesh, especially if as he goes, he meets with briars and quagmires and other circumstances that make his journey so much the more painful. In Acts 14, 22, Paul and Barnabas visit their latest converts, quote, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must pass through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. And Bunyan really believed that. He believed that particularly ministers of the gospel, as a general rule, had to go through more afflictions, cross providences as he called them, than the average parishioner for the simple fact that ministers had to be shepherds, under shepherds of the great shepherd. And in order to shepherd people, they had to be able to identify with persevering through great affliction. And so one lesson Bunyan intended to teach in the Pilgrim's Progress powerfully 
is that our path to heaven is full of trials in the form of various crosses to be born, dangers to be faced, and that we, particularly we who are servants of God, must endure all these things for the sake of the king, as he puts it, the king of the celestial city. Section four, Bunyan's experience of outward injustice and inward pain. Prior to his arrest, Bunyan married again, this time to a godly young woman named Elizabeth. She pleaded repeatedly for her husband's release from prison. But judges such as Sir Matthew Hale and Thomas Twiston rejected her plea. Her boldness was a wonder to behold. She was very young, perhaps 19 or 20 at the time, and very pregnant. And when she heard about the arrest of her husband, she went into premature labor and lost the baby. But she stood up to her husband's accusers with courage anyhow. One justice told Bunyan's wife that he was a pestilent fellow. Another asked, will your husband leave off preaching? If he will do so, send for him. Elizabeth responded, my Lord, he dares not leave off preaching as long as he has the ability to speak. His accusers then said, your husband is a breaker of the peace. Elizabeth said, my husband only wants to live peacefully, pursue his calling and provide for his family of our four small children, one of whom is blind. When asked what her husband's calling was, she said, a tinker, meaning a, a worker who mended pots and pans and other metal household objects. Another justice then accused Bunyan saying, he will preach and do whatever he wants, no matter what we say. Elizabeth's response, he preacheth, gentlemen, nothing but the word of God. Another judge then became so angry with Elizabeth that he feared, she feared he would hit her. He said, Bunyan preaches nothing but the doctrine of the devils. Her reply, my Lord, when the righteous judge shall appear, it will be known that his doctrine is not the doctrine of the devils. A biographer John Brown commented, Elizabeth Bunyan was simply an English peasant woman. Could she have spoken with more dignity had she been a crowned queen? Bunyan remained in formal prison, in prison without any formal charge and without a legal sentence, which was against the law. But he steadfastly persevered. He refused to give up preaching the gospel. It would not promise to attend worship in the local parish church. In 1661, and from 1668 to 1672, certain jailers permitted Bunyan to leave prison at times to preach, especially in the evening hours. And those who were against him, who were in, under authority, would come and make sure he was there because they heard rumors that Bunyan was out preaching. But every time they came to see if he was in prison, he was there. And finally, one jailkeeper said to him, God looks after you. And even though it will cost me my job, I, I know now that no one will come to see if you're here while you're out preaching. And it never happened. And so uh, J.I. Packer, I believe it was, who said, there are numerous dozens of congregations that owe their beginning and their existence to John Bunyan's midnight preaching while he was in jail. 
George Offer says, oh, that was George Offer, not Packer, yeah. Those prison years, however, were not easy. Bunyan experienced what his characters, Christian and faithful, experienced in Pilgrim's Progress at the hands of giant despair, who thrust his pilgrims into a very dark dungeon, nasty and stinking. In fact, most of Pilgrim's Progress being written in the jail was Bunyan's imagination as he looked out of his jail cell and saw the terrain around him and the prison that he was experiencing. Most of it happens directly in that setting, his spiritualizing of it. And Bunyan particularly felt the pain of separation from his God-fearing wife and his dear children, especially blind Mary. He said, being in jail was like pulling off the flesh from my bones. So painful it was. Lesson number four, perseverance does not preclude times of doubt and depression. Let us not be foolishly optimistic. God's promise of preserving grace does not include walking in unbroken sunshine. Regarding one occasion when he was in prison, Bunyan wrote, I was once above all the rest in a very sad and low condition for weeks on end, sometimes lasting for months. For indeed, at that time, all the goodness and the things of God were hidden from my soul. Sometimes a thought of his death by execution obsessed him. Did he know for sure he would go to heaven at those times, he thought. Other times, his heart broke when he imagined how his children, especially his blind daughter, would become destitute beggars because of his imprisonment. During this period, he said, I learned how to live upon a God that is invisible. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27. Bunyan recalled his struggles in the image of a fire burning against a wall in the Pilgrim's Progress. You remember the story. A man poured water on the fire, showing how the devil tries to extinguish the work of grace that God produces in the heart. But the fire kept burning. Indeed, the fire grew hotter. How could it be? While hidden behind the wall, the pilgrim saw another man pouring oil on the fire, showing how Christ sustains grace in the heart of a believer. And Bunyan said, the reason the man remained hidden was to show that it is hard for the tempted to see how this work of grace is maintained in the soul, but it is maintained nonetheless. In the darkness of depression, we sometimes cannot sense God's presence, but he is there in fulfillment of his promise, never to leave us, never to forsake us. And so this image of the fire by the wall is perhaps Bunyan's most insightful metaphor for the struggle and the triumph of perseverance. Robert Ritchie notes that Bunyan not only captured the doctrine of perseverance in 200 words, but did so in a way that emphasized the sustaining grace of God. He says, persevering grace was the motif of Bunyan's heart. Perseverance does not mean that believers march triumphantly through life like heroes in a victory parade, Bunyan says. Rather, it means that we battle our way through temptations and trials and deep discouragements, 
all the while discovering the truth of our Lord's promise, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And I, in 40 some years of ministry, I know, I know this by experience as well. I've been in hard and difficult times, times when I didn't think I could go on, times when I knew for sure if I didn't know that I was called to ministry, I definitely would have quit many a time. But God's grace is sufficient. Quitting is not an option. There's no solution in quitting. It's just running from the sheep and running from God. And so I've said many a time to my own soul at such times, I'd rather just be lined up against the wall and have someone shoot me dead than stop preaching. And that's the way a minister feels. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. There is no other option. Number five, Bunyan's productivity behind bars. What's amazing about Bunyan's perseverance, when he's in such agony in prison, he keeps being productive. In the mid-1660s, he wrote extensively with only the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs at his side. 1663, he writes Christian Behavior, a handbook for Christian living, and a reply to charges of antinomianism. It's also intended as his last will and testament because he thinks he's going to die soon. The same year, he finishes the book, I Will Pray with the Spirit, in which he focuses on the Spirit's inner work of prayer in the soul. The next year, he publishes Profitable Meditations. And the following year, he publishes three books, one thing needful, the holy city, an exposition of church history in the end times, and the resurrection of the dead. And the latter work is a sequel to the holy city. In 1666, surprised that he's still alive, Bunyan writes, grace abounding to the chief of sinners to describe how God had converted him, brought him to gospel peace. And during the last part of his imprisonment, he finishes off a confession of my faith a reason for my practice, and a defense of the doctrine of justification, an uncompromising criticism of plagiarism among the nonconformists and latitudinarianism among the Anglicans. You see, Bunyan was largely self-taught, and with so few books at his disposal, he was able to write on the burning theological issues of the day by God's persevering grace in prison. Lesson number five, perseverance requires being active in the service of the Lord. Bunyan was prolific in writing books during his time in jail. Not, not, don't get me wrong, not every minister is called to be a writer. But despite the hardships of lacking a comfortable chair, a desk, a library, a fine pen, much less a laptop computer with internet access. Faith Cook writes, how he managed to write at all amidst those overcrowded, filthy, rat-infested surroundings with the groans of the prisoner resounding in his ears and the ever-present clank of chains reminding him of the death sentence imposed on many inmates is astonishing. Under such conditions, it took great discipline to produce books, but the entire world is better for it, including Bunyan. You see, when he wrote... He felt closest to God. 
And so that's what stirred him up. And he knew he was doing good. And I, I can identify with that. I actually felt called to write when the Lord called me to the ministry at the age of 15. I knew I was also called to a writing life. And I've always felt the closest to God while I'm writing. And so for me, it's a holy compulsion. You, you may feel closest to God when you're preaching or when you're visiting, but for me, it's writing. So I need to write. If I didn't write for a month, I, I'd feel cold and distant from God. So you need to know where God has called you within the ministry too, to put your specialty as it were, and to focus on being active in the servants of the Lord, also in times of disappointment and, pers and persevere in that. Many a time in my difficult, difficult years, a couple decades ago, uh, I would come home from, from meetings and, and go straight to work at midnight because I knew I'd just be tossing and turning in the bed and just go back to work till two or three in the morning and just persevere so that I could do the work of the Lord. And many of those midnight hours, I can say, they were sweet to my soul and the tears were running down my cheeks as I was writing. But just have to keep doing the work of the Lord, no matter what man says about me. And that's how Bunyan felt, and uh, probably a thousand times more. But he persevered. You see, there's a connection between serving the Lord and perseverance, even in tough times. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, which Bunyan expounds upon. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Bunyan was convinced of that. He writes, slothfulness is usually accompanied with carelessness. And carelessness is for the most part begotten by senselessness. And senselessness does again put fresh strength into slothfulness. I mean, this means the soul is left remediless. Which is another way of saying, just persevere. Number six, Bunyan out of jail and back in again. When the Bedford congregation sensed that the magistrates were lessening their resistance to Puritan preaching, they appointed Bunyan as their pastor in 1672. Bunyan was not released, however, until five months after his appointment. He remained firm in his principles, saying, I've determined the Almighty God be my help and shield, yet to suffer if frail life might continue so long, even till the moss shall grow on my eyebrows, rather than thus violate my faith and my principles. He was the first to suffer under Charles II, and the last to be released of the Puritans. His years in Bedford's county prison made him a martyr in the eyes of many people. Bunyan enjoyed only a few years of freedom when he was again arrested for preaching and put in the town jail. What did he do when he got back into jail? He just started writing again. He wrote instruction for the ignorant, a catechism for the saved and unsaved that emphasizes the need for self-denial, saved by grace, exposition of Ephesians 2 verse 5, the straight gate, light for them that sit in darkness. That's a powerful book written from the experience of his soul. He also wrote the first part of Pilgrim's Progress, which sold more than 100,000 copies during its first decade in print. Bunyan almost threw the book, you probably know the story, into the flames because some of his friends said, this is ridiculous, this allegory. This will never sell. But he thought, well, I'll give it a try. Worst comes to worst. 
I've done it, so I might as well put it out there. And it becomes the most popular book ever published with a possible exception of our Kempis's The Imitation of Christ and, of course, the Bible. Lesson number six, perseverance necessitates a pilgrim mindset. The life of faith is a pilgrimage through the world to heaven, as Hebrews 11, 13 through 16 put it. We should not love this world or count it as our home, Bunyan writes, or it will own our hearts and our souls. Bunyan saw his difficult years, his imprisonment years, as years that would keep him from becoming worldly. And so in Pilgrim's Progress, that's why he has the pilgrims passing through the town of Vanity, which keeps up its Vanity Fair all year long. Vanity Fair is the city of destruction in its gala dress, Bunyan said, in its most seductive allurements. The world dons its best clothes to seduce Christians from the right way. But the pilgrims remain faithful, which aroused the ire of people at the fair. When asked what they would buy, the pilgrims said, we buy the truth. And that caused a riot and led to the arrest of Christian and his friend. But the pilgrims told the authorities, we are pilgrims and strangers in this world. And we are going to our own country, which is the heavenly Jerusalem. You see, all of Pilgrim's Progress, the first part anyway, is really Bunyan's own experience. And Bunyan is saying, so too, we must resist the world if we are to persevere in faithful service to our king. And if not, we will abandon the faith out of love for the world as Demas. Number seven, Bunyan's final days. John Owen, minister of an independent congregation, in London, appealed to Thomas Barlow, Bishop of London, on behalf of Bunyan, and was able to achieve Bunyan's release from prison on June 21, 1677. He spent his last years ministering to the nonconformists and continued to write. One year later, he wrote, Come and Welcome to Jesus Christ, a wonderful book that propounds the free offer of Christ to needy sinners. In the final three years of his life, he wrote 10 more books, The Pharisee and The Publican, The Jerusalem Sinner Saved, The Work of Christ as an Advocate, which is a fantastic book, by the way, The Water of Life, Solomon's Temple Spiritualized, The Acceptable Sacrifice. And then in 1688, Bunyan died from a fever he caught while traveling in cold weather. On his deathbed, he said to those gathered around him, Weep not for me, but for yourselves. I go to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will no doubt through the mediation of his blessed Son receive me, though a sinner, where I hope we are, where we ere long shall meet to sing the new song and remain everlastingly happy, world without end. And so to the end, his heart was filled with the wonder of God's grace to sinners. After telling his friends, that his greatest desire was to be with Christ. As he was dying, he suddenly sat up and raised his hands to heaven and cried out, take me for I come to thee and died. Buried in London's Bunhill Fields Cemetery, close to Thomas Goodwin and John Owen, I've been to that cemetery at least a dozen times in my life, and I 
Seeing Bunyan's grave there almost always brings tears. Lesson number seven, perseverance is driven by the hope of glory. In dark times, whether we're in prison, on a sickbed, at death's door, God's word shines brighter to us. Bunyan wrote that during his prison years, certain scriptures that had previously meant little to him now became very real to him. Specific Bible verses gave me great refreshment, he said. And like Pilgrim, he escaped from the dungeon of giant despair with a key called promise. Those promises of scripture kept him going so that even though he's in prison physically, he's out of prison spiritually. And he particularly found strength in the promises of John 14, 1 through 4. The hope of glory is not just the goal of perseverance. It is its daily bread and butter. If you want to persevere in this race, feed your soul with a view of the one who is seated at God's right hand and those who gather around him in shining garments. This will fill you with a longing to see God's glory fully revealed in Christ. I don't know if it's just a matter of getting older or what's going on, but I think many of ministers I've, I've met who are my colleagues and about my age, it seems like as you talk to them, you just want to preach more and more about heaven and about our future home. And I'm so convinced there's so little preaching about the hope of glory in our day. We need to preach much more about the future home of, of God's people. And, and Bunyan was so good at that. One Lord's Day when he was in jail, Bunyan was supposed to preach to his fellow prisoners. He found himself, he says, empty, spiritless, and barren. Looking through his Bible... He came upon the description of the heavenly Jerusalem at the end of Revelation. He was so dazzled by the splendor of God among his heavenly people that he took up the text with prayer, preached it with power, and then enlarged it into a book called The Holy City or The New Jerusalem. And he said, it's this new Jerusalem that strengthened me to press me on to the end. For when men do come to see the things of another world, what a God, what a Christ, what a heaven, what an eternal glory there is to be enjoyed. Also, when they see that it is possible for them to have a share in it, I tell you, it will make them run through thick and thin to enjoy it forever. Well, in conclusion, pilgrims must travel a long and difficult road to glory many times, but their steps are certain because God is faithful. Bunyan described the battle of perseverance in painful detail in his writings. He did not minimize the intense struggles, the doubts, even the backslidings of the true believer. He himself experienced all these things intensely in the Bedford jail. And yet he confidently portrays the perseverance of true saints because of the unchangeable decree and sovereign power of God. He writes... I believe that there is not any impediment attending the election of God that can hinder their conversion and eternal salvation. Just as God infallibly ordains the conversion of his chosen ones, so he infallibly carries them through every trial to eternal glory. Nothing can separate us from the eternal love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 
And Bunyan's life from beginning to end exemplifies what this doctrine teaches. Faithful perseverance is a battle, but it's a battle already won for us by Christ upon the cross. So let us take courage from that. Let us follow our master, our savior in his footsteps. Let us press on in the way, trusting in God, looking to Christ, praying in the spirit, hoping for glory. May God bless us all. All right, I'll, uh, I'll take a good 10 minutes here or so for any, any questions. And I also want to stress with you that uh, maybe I'll say this first. Um, we, have, we are at Reformation Heritage Books, which I, which I is kind of like my hobby and my, my love. Um, we just come out with a brand new book called Puritan Heroes last week and, uh, or a couple weeks ago. And this gives you the life story of the, of the 22 main Puritans with an intro and a conclusion talking about why we should get our people to read the Puritans. And um, this is actually a book for 10 years old and up. In the back, there's a biography, a uh, bibliography rather, I should say, for every one of these major Puritan figures. So it's a great book for your family, but also for you as you get introduced more and more, more, more to the Puritans. And then we're doing something very exciting. Uh, this is called Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. On Friday, we'll be showing a 28-minute filming of, of this Puritan documentary that we're producing with Media Grazia. And uh, it's going to be a two-hour um, Puritan documentary. And we're also going to have with it uh, a book, Introduction to the Puritans by Michael Reeves and myself, 35 Lessons that go deeper into Puritanism, what they taught on DVDs by people like Sinclair Ferguson and many of the men that are here as speakers. And then there's going to be a workbook, which I produced with one of my theological students on the lessons. And the whole package is going to be, is actually available for pre-order right now for $100, uh, a special price. And we're hoping to produce this by June. So you can, um, you just pick up one of these boxes at our table or at the Banner Truth table and you can, um, are, they, are they at the Banner Truth table? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. They're $90, actually. They're $90? Yeah, because I bought one using the certificate for $50 they gave you. So it only cost me $40. Okay, okay, that's good. That's good. And then if you, what I, what I try to say to ministers wherever I go, and I really believe this is true, and many of you who know the Puritans can vouch for this. If you really get into the Puritans yourself, they have a way of raising your own level of holiness and your, your godly fear of the Lord. And as McShane said, a congregation seldom rises above the level of its own ministers in holiness. So if you get involved in reading the Puritans and you start persuading your people to start reading the Puritans, I can assure you that with the Spirit's blessing, the whole level of holiness of the flock as a whole will definitely tick upward. Uh, it may take a few years, but you'll see the blessing of it. So what we've done is we've produced two books. This book is called Meet the Puritans. It gives you, it gives you the life story of all 150 Puritans that have been reprinted in the last 50 years. And then the, uh, behind each Puritan, it gives you little mini reviews of all 700 Puritan books that have been reprinted in the last 50 years. 
You can read it as a daily devotional, reading one story a day, or your wife can read it. She'd, she'd enjoy it as well, or your kids. But um, you can also use it as a reference tool about what books, to, what, what books to buy and really get to know. And then this corresponding volume is a, called a Puritan Theology Doctrine for Life. It gives you 50 chapters of 50 areas where the Puritans excelled in, in teaching doctrine. And the last eight chapters then show you how they applied that doctrine to their prayer life, how they applied their theology to their family, to their homes, to their conscience, to their meditation, and so on. So this is a good place to start with these two volumes, to read the Puritans. And then what we're doing now, because a lot of, I mean, you guys will have no trouble reading the, the original Puritans, I'm sure. But what a lot of your people need to do is they need to start with um, a Puritan treasures for today. And those are little paperback books of 100 to 150 pages that we're producing of shorter Puritan treatises in which every sentence is edited so it reads like it was written yesterday. Have your people start there, like Triumphing Over Sinful Fear by, by John Flavel or Stop Loving the World by William Greenhill. And once your people start reading these books, you know what happens to them? They say, this is unbelievable. There's such rich substance. And by the time they read five or six of these, then they'll gravitate over to reading the Puritans in their original language. And the best way to start there is to start with Thomas Watson and then graduate to John Flavel and eventually work your way back up to uh, Thomas Goodwin and John Owen. All right, any questions on, on the talk? Yes, sir. In this, in this, in this conference, yes. I'm, I'm not sure, but I, um, I actually, um, when I submitted my topic, I submitted God's faithfulness and then I submitted the topic I'm going to be giving tomorrow morning. But I was told that John MacArthur's topic was on God's faithfulness. And I think that was interwoven. He was going to be the one that set the stage for that. So I think, I think that was interwoven in his, um, in his first talk. Yeah, but um, obviously, obviously God's faithfulness is the foundation of everything that's going on at this conference. Yeah, but good, good point. Yes? What's the influence of the Puritans on hymnody, liturgy, and congregational worship? <laughs> wow. All right, um, hymnody. Well, the Puritans believe with few exceptions that God gave a natural canonical manual for piety and for singing in the churches, in the meeting houses, as they would call it, in the Psalms. So they really focused on the Psalms for, for singing. And uh, there's a few exceptions. Uh, John Cotton allowed singing from other parts of the Bible. And then there's a, one or two Puritans of the later stage that started including things like maybe Isaac Watts's hymns, if you still call them Puritan at that age. But generally the Puritans were psalm singers. What was the second one? Uh, liturgy and congregational worship. Liturgy, they follow mostly Calvin's Order of Geneva. Um, the typical Puritan worship service would look a lot like ours today, only they would pray more. Um, they would pray, say, 10, 15 minutes before the sermon started. And then the sermon was, was usually a bit longer than most of ours anyway. They had an hourglass often that they would turn over and they started to preach. 
And the goal was to have the sermon finished in 60 minutes for most Puritans. Uh, if, they, if they went a little bit over time, that was okay. Um, so sometimes they go 70 minutes, especially if they felt some freedom. And then they would pray though at the end for maybe, they pray their way back through the sermon. So generally they would pray for 20 to 30 minutes uh, after the sermon. Yeah, that was a big thing. Yeah. So they, they let, they, they used to say, you can really tell a minister's heart from his prayers. And so prayer was a very central part of the liturgy. And then the last item again? More or less the same. Congregational worship. Congregational worship. I did it. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, two questions. Where do you recommend starting with Thomas Watson? And then the second question about Bunyan is, um, to what extent did he struggle with assurance of salvation while he was in prison? Yeah. Um, in terms of starting with Thomas Watson, I think one of the best books ever written is Heaven Taken by Storm by, by, by Thomas Watson. But the, Tom, Thomas Watson is good wherever you, wherever you go. I recommend him for people to start out because his sentences are cryptic. They're just weighty. They drip with, with substance and, and they're captivating. I mean, when God first converted me at 15, the first book I read was a body of divinity. It's which basically a systematic theology. And uh, I just drank it up. Um, so I, yeah, it's, he's very easy to follow. And the second question was, to, to what extent? Did oh yeah. With yeah. Um, in terms of struggling with assurance in prison, I think Bunyan struggled more with what I call um, circumstantial depressing circumstances, which give you a sense of, am I forsaken of God? Has God deserted me? More than he really suffered from a lack of assurance of his own salvation. But the, he became so depressed at times that th then he just wondered, has God just forsaken me? Have I never been saved at all? But I'm sure if you went to Bunyan in the jail cell and said, well, do you really now believe that, that God didn't work this salvation in you? What about that righteousness of Christ experience? I don't think he would have denied it, but it's possible as a believer to be so overwhelmed with circumstances that are so discouraging that you enter into some kind of dark night of the soul and then you can't hardly grab onto anything. So Bunyan, Bunyan went, uh, went into bits and pieces of that from time to time in jail. But um, from what I can read and what I can gather, it's his writing and using the means of grace and persevering um, with the, the spiritual disciplines, even in jail, that, that kept him above that most of the time. I think 90% of the time he, he was not lacking. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. It's been said that every great preacher or theologian has a theological anomaly. What would you say Bunyan's anomaly would be? I've got a Let's hear your idea. His view on open communion I just doesn't seem to fit with the rest of what uh, he, he offered theologically. Yeah, yeah, that may be, that may be good. Um, probably, I would say his, his greatest anomaly was, and that he was he was one of the few Puritans that that you know wouldn't baptize infants, and yet later on in his life he 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 kind of waffled a bit on that and sort of indicated that it was perfectly okay for others to baptize infants, but even if his own members had their children baptized by another preacher as infants, he would allow that. So that was unusual. Yeah. Which, uh, which, uh, can you give a couple of books of, the, of, of, of a couple of Puritans that wrote on prayer? Like just, just like doing it, like, you know, for the, for the man of God, for the leader. Yeah. That, 
Yeah. There is a, you can get an old uh, Solideo Gloria reprint, uh, the Puritans on prayer. It's got four of the best books on prayer there. You could probably get it in the used book market if you Googled it. A good biography on Bunyan. What is the best one? Is it, is it in print today? Yeah. Um, the best biography in Bunyan. There's been so many. The old, the old classic was by John Brown. And that's still a really solid 500-page biography. For for something newer, um, Faith Cook, perhaps. Um, there's another one that's I'm just slipping my mind right now, but I, I would go for the John Brown one. And did Baker two-volume works. Pardon? Did, ba- did Baker do the two-volume works? Three-volume works. Three volume works. Yeah. Does that contain most of his, or they? Yeah, most. Yeah, it's small print, but it's yeah. So there was obviously a lot of human effort to to, um, to quash his preaching. Yeah, I'm, I've always been kind of intrigued. Was there not any attempt at that for his for his written works? How how did he get that out during? Well, he he was allowed visitors in jail, so he would hand them manuscripts and they could take them out and publish them. Yeah, and, and there's nothing they could do to stop that. But don't forget, Bunyan was very popular among the people, so they had to be careful how they treated him in jail as well. Yeah, yeah. Two more questions, then I'll let you go. Is that how Bunyan was able to support his family? By shoelaces, by doing shoelaces, yeah. Yeah, but those, those are days very similar to ours. You don't get a lot of royalty uh, through writing books. Yeah. What's known of um, Bunyan's children? Did they, were they saved? Did they go on into pastoral ministries? Or? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. God bless you all.